scripture for today is the first book of the Bible, very beginning, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Join me in a short prayer for illumination before we read God's word. Father God, creator of all things, in your mercy, give us humble, obedient, and teachable hearts that we may receive your blessings and go out into the world to bless others. Praise be to the risen Christ. Amen. Beginning with Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And now we'll move to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. That means it was my fault. We just can't get the weather exactly right. 62 last week with 18 mile an hour winds. A little bit warm this week. Next week we're gonna. It's gonna be perfect. I promise. Why would I say that? It's ridiculous. So I'm gonna say something that's gonna sound so trite. And if you know me, hopefully you find me to be not a horrifically trite person. I hope. I think the Bible is my desert island book. I think if I take the one book now, now, it's a little bit of a trick answer to a question I'm not asking because it's so, it looks like a regular book, but it has such thin, thin pages. And I don't know about yours, but mine's thousands of pages long. The reason I would take it is it has every kind of literature in it. Poetry, songs, angry prophecy, sad prophecy, stories, poetic prose like what we just saw in Genesis. I read Esther a few months ago. Esther's so strangely dark and funny and nail-biting, right? So I think that would be my Desert Island book. And what we're going to do over the course of the next handful of summers is go through the Bible one book at a time um, and talk about why is this book in the Bible? What happens in the book? Deal with some of the challenging stories. Most of the books of the Bible have some challenging stuff in them, challenging for us to understand how that could happen, how can God be good and in control and either do this or allow this. Look at the role of the book 
in redemptive history. So this morning we're looking at Genesis. And I think it's apparent that this is poetic prose. It's really lovely in the Hebrew. The first verse is seven words. The second verse is 14. This is a, a stylistic way of helping us be grasped through language by the completeness of God's creation. I love later in the text, um, God says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And what's going on there, and the translators are kind of at pains to uh, make it evident to us, is the noun and the verb are the same. So it's like, let flying things fly. Let slithering things slither. Let swimming, oceany things, swimmy, oceany. I'm going to read from the Jesus Story of the Bible in a minute because she just nails it. When I was growing up, um, not in my church, but in other places, what I was taught about Genesis was what's important in learning, especially in chapter 1, is when did this happen and how this happened. And I look at the text now, and it's been my conviction for a long time, that that's not why we have the book of Genesis, though those are important questions. We have the book of Genesis to tell us much more important answers to more important questions. Why? Who? And to what end? I think those are good questions, but the Bible's goal, and that's where we start to be, we long to be good readers of and listeners of the text. We start with, what? why did God put these words here? Whether they were penned by Moses or other books of the Bible, Christians believe the scripture is inspired. Well, what then is it saying? We can come along question. We can allow questions like how and when to come alongside questions. But Genesis is much more interested in telling us who did it. A triune God. You'll notice he's referencing, he'll reference himself in the plural throughout Genesis 1 and 2. Why? Because he's creative and loving and good. And this creation flowed out of him. It's not because he was bored. It's not because he was lonely. It's not because he didn't have something else to do. The creator creates creative beings. I was taught at one point in college, when I was a religious studies major, that these were actually two different accounts of creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I don't think that's true. At one point I was taught that there were multiple authors to Genesis. I don't think that's true. But, but what's challenging about Genesis is it'll change voices. It'll change the name of God. It'll change the, the, the camera will zoom way in in chapter 12, if you've read it. Chapters 1 through 11 are about all of history. And chapters 12 on are about God's pursuit of the life of the world through one family. And in the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to see, nothing to feel, nothing to hear, only emptiness and darkness. And nothing but nothing. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. Whether you like this kind of literature or not, that's a spectacular 
exegetical reading of Genesis 1. This is from Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible. God said, hello, light. And light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, sea. Hello, sky. And a great space opened up wide and deep and high. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, land. And there, splashing up through the oceans, came cliffs, mountains, sandy beaches. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers. And everything everywhere burst into life. He made buds bud, shoots shoot, flowers flower. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, birds, God said. And with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish, God said. And with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, animals. And everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy skerfuffling. And I'm telling you, this is an excellent rendering of the Hebrew. And I'm serious. You're good, God said, and they were. God saw all that he had made and he loved them, and they were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness, and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. In the beginning, God creates and he ordains. The creator creates creative beings and commands them to exercise their Imago Day, and this is one of the first big misunderstandings. Right there at the beginning of Genesis, mentioned twice that men and women are to have dominion over the earth. Biblically, that means care. And we are to create. The four mandates that, that flow out of Genesis 1 are that men and women are supposed to create and cultivate culture. God says it's not good for man to be alone, speaking about community. And then there's the creation of marriage. And then rest and work are ordained by God. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that most of what is sick about humans and the world, I'm using a metaphor here to describe the state of the world, are those things gone awry in us. When those things are distorted and violated, men and women harm one another. 
I am uh, 45. Lived in Connecticut nine years, Missouri 17, Oklahoma 18, bits of time in other states. And I can't quite get my head and my heart around um, the complexity of the Supreme Court decision from earlier this week. Some of you are like, ah, oh, this is going to annoy me. And you're probably right. Some of you wish I would talk about more of these things. Many of you wish I would talk about less. Sometimes I don't know. I love when I get home and I hear, if your pastor didn't mention this thing, you should switch churches. And I'm like, what if he didn't know? I can't know all the things. didn't know about the Pulse shooting until a few days later. I didn't know about the Buffalo shooting before church. But having grown up in Oklahoma, where very little will change because the Supreme Court makes me think and feel one way, having lived in Missouri, where a lot just changed very quickly, now living in Connecticut, where very little changes in the short term, reminds me that Christians get to show up in all of those places and continue to act like Christians. Kind, listening, caring for all of the neighbors that God has chosen to put into our life. And this is just going to represent all the other things I'm not going to say about that. I'm just going to let it float away, and we're going to return to the text. In the beginning, God creates and ordains, and people rebel. If you're familiar with Genesis, and as I was reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, you know that it goes real south real quickly. And the reason it went south is so important for us to understand. Because it is what we continue to do. The New Testament... um, describes Adam and Eve as our first parents because we continue to do what they did. What was their sin? What was their violation? They stopped believing that God's heart towards them was good and started believing that they knew better. I mean, friends, isn't that most of the time that we hurt someone or miss an opportunity for love or harm ourselves? Whether it's intentional or not, it's when we stop believing that I'm implying that we know what God has to say about worship of him and care for neighbor. Adam and Eve stopped trusting the good heart of God. And then Cain happens. I'm not going to deep dive the story. It can seem unfair to us if we're not reading it with humility and imagination. He murders his brother. And then he asks the question, am I my... Yeah, you know, because it's one of the most haunting words ever spoken. Probably written about almost daily for all sorts of purposes. The New Testament, almost every page, addresses the question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Perhaps the most profound answer is the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. My favorite part of the Cain story is what does God do to Cain. He protects him. When we read Genesis flippantly, we can get an impression of God. Ricky Gervais would say that God has anger management issues because of the way he reads Genesis. But if we read Genesis with care, we see incredible compassion and nurture from God. The flood is a terrific example of that. You know, the flood is referenced in at least three other religions from that area. And in the flood narrative, Genesis 6-8, through God describes himself in a 
partially emotional way. You have to be careful talking about God and emotions because we're humans and limits and all that kind of stuff. What's the emotion? It's not anger. God does get angry. Talk about that in a moment. It's grief. And whatever you think about the decision to allow the world to be flooded, how violent and horrible would it have to have been if you were watching it like a film for it to have been actually a decision on behalf of the life of the world? I don't know if you've seen the book, the movie Noah. I love the imaginative moves that the director and the screenwriters make because we don't know everything about the flood narrative. And they take some pretty serious leaps. But they also show an incredibly destructive and violent humanity. What if you knew from watching them beyond a shadow of a doubt, everybody would have been dead within six months or a year if God had continued to allow them to live the way that they were living. The dominant emotion of the text and it, In our longing to be good readers of the Bible, we want to first notice how does God describe himself as grieving. It grieved him that the earth was so vicious and violent at that point. And then in perhaps one of the more human stories of the Bible, directly after the flood, what does Noah do? He builds a vineyard so that he can have a drink. And it's a sad story, and there's more to it than that, but it reminds us of the humanness of the text. And then there's Babel, which in my experience is one of the most misunderstood single stories in the scripture. People try to people insert sin into it. If you read the story of the disbursement of humans over the uh, earth in Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, God's not angry. Their sin is not described. What are they not doing? They're not fulfilling the creation mandate which is to fulfill the earth and offer their dominion to all parts of the earth. So what did God do? He forced their hand by giving them different languages. And what we notice in the first 11 chapters of uh, Genesis is a pattern that we not only will see in our own lives, but especially in the scriptures over and over and over again. God creates because that's who he is. People rebel because that's who we are. And God goes after them and gets them and brings them back to himself and recreates. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation is not only the story of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, it's a pattern that helps us understand the rest of the stories in Scripture. In the beginning, God creates and ordains and we rebel and then he chooses a family. And this is the more specific beginning in a long line of very, very, very imperfect followers of God. Abraham is brave in some moments and incredibly passive, especially with his wife and children later. And it harms the family, and that harm continues through the generations because if we don't repent of generational sin, it's very likely that it will repeat in the next generations. And the reason that I mention that is because almost all of the people God chooses to bring his light to the world are very, very, very imperfect people reminding us that salvation is found in his steadfast love and not in being good or doing good, though. Oh, no, though. 
Salvation is found in trusting him and his steadfast love. One of the more disorienting chapters of the Bible is where God tests Abraham's faith. And again, if we read it flippantly, we're like, God's so cruel. Hebrews 11 teaches us that Abraham's faith was so profound that he believed that if God had allowed him to harm his son, which he did not, this is in Genesis chapter 23, story of Abraham and Isaac, God would have then raised Isaac from the dead. That's how powerful Abraham's faith was. And God apparently was very interested in Abraham knowing how strong Abraham's faith was in order to what? Bless the whole world through that knowledge. One of Abraham's passive silly moves was uh, taking matters into his own hands. See the pattern again? We rebel. His wife had an um, employee named Hagar, and they have a child. Bad move. Not the right move. What does God do? He protects Hagar. She's the first person in the scriptures to give God a name. You are the one who sees me. So we don't like what Abraham did. But then again, we get to see the kind heart of God pursuing and protecting this woman who was mistreated. Though she had a little bit of a hand in the mistreatment also, if you read the story. In the beginning, God creates and ordains and we rebel and he chooses a family in order to bless the world. And that is our opportunity as followers of Christ is to love those he put into our life, to enjoy the creation rhythms that the world will not respect of rest and of work, to love well even those who are not for us, Jesus called enemies. The heart of God is in all of the pages of Scripture, but in the beginning we see God creating and ordaining. And despite our actions... He calls us to himself in order to bless the world. Indeed, for the life of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that we sense and trust your fatherly care for us. Jesus, we thank you for doing the work of breaking the head of the serpent in Genesis 3 through your work on the cross and in your resurrection. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill us with joy as we go back into our homes and places of business that we might easily, joyfully reflect you in the world. Amen.